Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets. Yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. Well, hey, everybody. <laughs> Did I wake you up, Karen? No, I just, it's been a while since I feel like I I've been here with you. We say that every show. I think I know. We've, we've got a little slacker thing going on right now. Uh, I am Deb Tomorrow. I'm your host of Real Real Estate Today. And I am a realtor out of Bloomington, Indiana. And I am joined by Miss Karen Rastel, who is the best damn lender in the state of Indiana. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. And we're going to try and keep today's show positive. Always. Never. <laughs> uh, it's a weird, weird time of year. So first of all, we didn't do a show last week. And somewhere between last week and this week, we celebrated our two-year anniversary of doing the show, which is crazy. Has it already been two, two years? years? That's a lot of shows. That is a lot. That's a lot of me talking. It's a lot of positive energy you're putting out there. about that. But um, probably enough of me talking to last anyone a lifetime. So if you have any real estate questions at all, there is lots of good information. You can um, find me uh, on iTunes. And also um, we're in the process of taking the shows and putting them on a YouTube channel. Um, and so there's some good information there too. So I definitely recommend that you uh, go there. I've been having more and more people using that as a resource and that's pretty exciting and I'm happy for that. So, um, so we are in the midst in the Bloomington market, Bloomington, Indiana of kind of our height of our selling season. Uh, we start a little bit earlier than other places around the country. Maybe other college towns are similar, but we're primarily a university town. So everything starts a little bit earlier because we tend to shut down in the summer because everyone kind of goes their separate ways for a few months. So we are in um, a really annoying and frustrating seller's market. I uh, Other big news, this is related too. Indiana just uh, started about two or three weeks ago allowing liquor sales on Sunday. So if you're not from Indiana... You could go into a restaurant and buy a drink, but you, could, you cannot go into a grocery store and buy anything. Right. So uh, how do we survive that? I don't know. There's it's, a lot of planning ahead. I will tell you, it has, it has always been a law since yeah. I right. can remember. Right. So, Yeah. So um, I think that they, and they were actually going to, the, the law had been passed and it was going to start in July. And then I don't know what happened, but one day in February, they were like, yeah, we're going to start at March 7th. <laughs> okay. And I think they did it because we're in this just seller's market that's just really frustrating for realtors. Oh, you think it's a drink. correlation? Okay. Oh, I mean, it's a one-to-one -one correlation. <laughs> the governor has your back. That's what right? you're saying because he just signed yeah, it. Okay. Like, These poor realtors need to drink more. <laughs> So let me tell you what happened over the weekend. You okay. actually already know. Rachel did not get the story, though. And Rachel, associate producer extraordinaire, is here. So she's only she's heard some bits and pieces. So a lot of insane things happened this weekend. We had this, like, big ice storm, sleet, slush, snow. snow. Everything. Mm -hmm. Insane, right? I'm driving all over a county here and there, showing houses that are already sold, but the realtors aren't telling people that they're already sold. So people are getting excited, and then dreams are dashed, and, you know, we all need to be a lot kinder and smarter with each other. But anyways, on top of all of that, I get a text from someone. I'm going to try and like change names to protect the innocent. But we've talked about this on the show before, that a lot of sellers have security systems, security cameras mm -hmm. in their uh, homes these days. And, and I think everyone needs to be aware. I'm always ultra aware. If I say something negative about the house, I kind of follow up with it. But it's a really nice house because... <laughs> You never know who might be watching or whatever. Um, I had a realtor uh, bring her lunch into one of my listings, like scheduled a showing, showed up with clients, sat down at the dining room table and proceeded to eat her lunch while her clients walked around the house. I know. My mouth is like wide open. Like I can't, um, I can't believe that. But, you know, when while you were saying that, I think the Today Show just ran something either oh, yeah. last week. Yeah, just here in the last couple of weeks on the same thing about having, um, you know, when you're having open houses yeah. or it could have been like our 
our our NBC affiliate here. Mm-hmm. In Indiana. But yeah. anyways, just okay. reminding people that you could be on camera. <laughs> Crazy. I'm just I was so disappointed, and it was just sort of an embarrassing call to get. But anyways, my clients had a fabulous attitude about it and thought it was hysterical. Uh, of course, they're you know, like yeah. They're awesome people, and so that really helped that they weren't livid because I was pretty livid. But did did the realtor take the trash? Oh, I think with, so. Yeah. Okay, the, the lingering onion ring smell probably stayed behind. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and then they scheduled a second showing the next day, and my client was like, "Who's showing the house again?" And I was like, "Our frequent diner. It's brunch time." And then. He said later, and this is sort of creepy too, though. He's like, they were there 40 minutes. I was like, yeah, they asked about the empty lot next door and they asked where you kept your syrup. Oh my gosh, you're <laughs> killing me. <laughs> Which I love that I have clients like that, that, you know, that just, it's not the end of the world. It's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. And they just make a joke of it. They're just super great people. So buy their house because uh, it's a great house too. So anyways, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about a show we did a few weeks ago where we talked about buyer and seller strategies in the seller's market. I had a funny exchange last week with um, a realtor who's been uh, one of the top realtors in the area for many, many, many years, well before I even started in real estate. Um, And he said, we've been through the really bad buyer's market where we just didn't have enough buyers. And Mm -hmm. now we've been through this crazy, or we're in the midst of the seller's market. He's like, we're real grown up realtors now. (laughs) Like we've been through it all. And it was so reassuring and comforting to me to hear that, you know, one of the things as a realtor, we don't often stop and talk to our colleagues about just how are things going? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all sort of independent contractors and we do our own thing and we're focused on like the deal and, you know, and our clients and we don't stop sometimes and go, what, what are you doing right now? Like, what's your business like? Is it crazy? Are you frustrated? Cause sometimes it just helps to hear that it's insane for other people too. Yes. So I wanted to talk today um, about some specific strategies and from the buyer and the seller perspective that we're seeing a lot more of in this market that we haven't seen as often. And I know, Karen, you and I have talked about it before. There's some times where you're like, what's this escalation clause? Yes. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about backup offers and we're going to talk about multiple offers and sort of from the buyer perspective and the seller perspective, how it works. And um, as we go through the show today, I'm going to give you starred thoughts. I should have started doing this a long time ago. One time at band camp, true story, um, I was drum major and I went to a special band camp in Whitewater, Wisconsin, I think it was. It was a very, very long time ago. Okay. And we would have a couple hours of classroom like lecture every day and then we would have drills and whatever. I'm not really sure. Uh, I ran around with some people and we sang songs and, you know, it was camp or whatever. But I remember sitting in like this lecture hall at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and we would have notebooks. We had to have our notebook and he, the lecturer would be like, starred thought. And we'd have to like draw a star okay. in our notebook and then write down what he said. And then he'd lecture for a while and then he'd go, starred thought. And we would do it again. Makes okay. sense, right? Yeah. I feel like our college professors, if you had like, given me started thoughts, <laughs> it would have been a lot easier, right? <laughs> we know what the important points are to remember. So we're going to go over starred thoughts today. But I wanted to give you some numbers real quick because I promised this a few weeks ago. We touched on it. But why are we in the middle of this seller's market, this shortage of homes where we have more buyers than there are for homes and it's driving prices up and it's making people crazy. So I've gone over this math before, but I want to go over it again because it's pretty powerful stuff. So listen carefully. Start that. From 2009 to today. Now, this article was written in 2016, but it's all very accurate. Still going forward. So from 2009 to 2016, new construction, single family homes, condos and apartment units. So new construction um, units, like a single unit where a family would live, totaled 5.6 million, which sounds like a lot mm-hmm. of new construction. Um, over that same time period, approximately 1.7 million units were deemed uninhabitable or obsolete. They were demolished, torn down, right? So we have a net gain of 3.9 million housing units during that time period. Again, sounds like a lot. However, the country uh, acquired an additional 17.3 million people, okay? Uh, and so is that enough 
housing to cover the additional 17.3 million people? Clearly, the answer is no. The average household size is 2.5 people, which would mean that we need 6.9 million new housing units to cover those people, the additional 17 million. So we were short by 3 million housing units. And that is why we are where we are today. I'm just sitting here. that? I, the fact that you're like, if this, you just reminded me of my husband, which we oh, coined yeah, Rain, Rain Man. Man with all these stats. And yeah. I'm just looking at you like, I could wanna, not have done that in my head. Do you want to take this home? Oh, no, I have notes. Do you want to take this home and give it to him though? He might enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> Rachel's going to post that. We've posted that article like 6 million times. But all right, let's go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about backup offers. Should you bother as a buyer and what's the value as a seller? So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions, and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Real Real Estate Today. I'm your host, Deb Tomorrow. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. That's Deb Tomorrow Realtor. Probably the best place to get information and a lot of things that we talk about. Uh, on the show, we're posted there, um, so there's good information. So we are talking today about some additional strategies for buyers and sellers, things that are happening more often in today's market than we've seen in the past. And this uh, segment, we're going to talk about backup offers. Uh, and Karen, you just asked me a really good question about backup offers. I, that's why I wanted you here for the show, because I thought you've got a good perspective, because you see this stuff, so you kind of, like, you get offers coming through to you that have backup things, and you're like, I don't really know how that works. Yeah, my question... Um, and plus, I'm also hearing feedback from my clients that are saying, you know, my offer didn't didn't make the cut or they're increasing their pre-approval amounts by mm -hmm. a huge amount. Mm -hmm. um, but my question was, who can initiate or request, hey, you know, can you take a backup offer? Right. Like if that is right. the buyer's agent or the seller's agent. And that was not something I had answered in here. So that was a great question um, because really a backup offer can be initiated by either side. So a backup offer is when there is an existing offer in place, but you want to be next in line in case that first deal falls apart. 
The difference is that you're not just first in line to say yes or no. It's not like it's a first right contingency, like just in case the deal falls apart. You are in a binding contract. Um, and this can happen a couple of different ways. One, you could be in a multiple offer situation and you don't win. Maybe you come in second place. The seller might say, sorry, we took another offer. Would you like to be back up? Mm-hmm. And then you, you usually in our market, we kind of do it verbally in the sense of we have that conversation and then we draw all the paperwork up because we're not going to waste time doing the paperwork if you know right. nobody really wants to. So, you know, the seller can say, would you like to be back up? And then we do the paperwork or the buyer can say, I've done this. I did this last week. You know, hey, well, the seller, we came in, we knew we came in second place. Hey, will the seller consider us as a backup? And if the seller says, sure, I'll take it back up, um, then we do the paperwork. And I don't know if this is on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, for later in the show, but once if you are a buyer and they have accepted it as a backup, yes, then you should not be looking for other homes. You should be, but we're going to get to that. Okay. Because I just, yeah, I had this happen last week too. Um, so what's important to understand, and, and the backup offer can also come into play further down the road. So I have taken to, you know, you can't find a house for a client. What just went pending? What just got an accepted offer? Could we get in as a backup? You know, and and one of the things I tell people is if it's been a couple of weeks, then the deal is probably pretty solid. When they fall apart, it's usually within the first week or so. So you can come in as a backup sometime after the fact as well, even, you know, if there wasn't a multiple offer. Um, But the most important thing to understand is that you are dealing with a contract here, a binding contract. Um, And so you so the example that I had last week, let me see if I can recreate it. Because there's so much stuff that's been going on. Uh, We ended up being a backup offer. So there were multiple offers. The seller decided to go with a cash offer, no inspections, which is crazy. Don't do that. Um, And uh, a quick close, two weeks. And our offer was higher, but the seller was totally on board with the whole cash. And, you know, I get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily blame them. Um, But uh, so we said, well, hey, can we be backup? Sure, we did the paperwork. We keep looking for houses because we're not going to suspend our search for a couple of weeks, but we had to be ready to rescind our backup offer very quickly. So what happened was we found another house, we made an offer, we negotiated it. The second that we got an accepted offer, I fire off an email to the agent of the house that we had the backup on. Mm-hmm. And we said, we're out. It was backup. He was like, that's funny because my buyer's getting ready to walk. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Two, yeah. Quick yeah. close cash, no inspections. Mm. I don't know what happened there. Um, and, but we were out and we were in a binding contract on another house. So there's no way they were like, we well, want to get back in on this. And I'm like, I can't, I'm got, I got a binding contract over here that I can't kill right. that right. without putting my buyer at risk of, you know, breaching contract. We're not going to do that. I don't play that game. Um, so then they went, they had a second backup. And they went to that, but those people were out for some reason too. I don't know why. So the house ended up going back on the market. Oh, yeah, kind of that, like that's the kind of crazy stuff that's going on. Um, so it, let me give you a little vocabulary lesson on because uh, that's one of the things I think pe- we start talking about things and people are like I don't even know what you mean. So so here are some terms that will come into play if you are uh, thinking about doing a backup offer. There is the primary offer. That's the current offer that's in place that's active. And then there are your backup offers. And you may have a first backup and a second backup. And I would imagine, you know, God bless the realtors on the East Coast, the San Francisco area, you know, where things are 20 times crazier than they are here. I don't know how they do it. They must all be alcoholics or something. I don't know. Um, So primary offer, backup offer. I use the word rescind. That means you take back your offer or you withdraw it. So there are certain circumstances you can do that. Um, So you can withdraw. So the nice thing about a backup offer is that you can withdraw that at pretty much any time um, if you find another house. The most uh, terminology in the backup offer says that it can be terminated at any time by the buyer. Um, And then notification is another important concept to understand because throughout this whole process, People have to notify each other about what's going on. So you get notified if the primary offer gets terminated. You get notified that your backup offer has now become primary offer. So I hope that makes sense. The form that we use, like I said, it's a pretty standard form. We just fill in a couple of uh, spaces. You know, it says this backup offer is effective for a period of time that we fill in. Say, you know, usually fill in 30, 45 days or something like that. 
buyer may um, withdraw the backup offer at any time prior to receiving notification. So that's what's important. You can withdraw it at any time. So that's why you can keep looking for houses. Okay. But prior to notification. So had my clients, had I not rescinded our backup offer right away mm-hmm. when they got an accepted offer in another house, 20 minutes later, we would have had two accepted offers because we would have gotten notification that. Right. Yeah. Right. Confusing as all get out. You got to keep like a spreadsheet. on. <laughs> it's kind of great. So that is a starred thought. Um, that it's really important to rescind, you know, to kind of stay on top of your um, your backup offers. <laughs> like, I don't want people, I feel like sometimes people like, well, I had someone ask me last week, you know, is it bad form to like try to negotiate on two houses at once? Um, yeah, because you might have two accepted offers at once. But it's kind of the same thing with backup offers. If you are just putting in backup offers on everything, I mean, that could be a strategy in today's market. And maybe you'll hit on something, but you better keep track of what you have backup offers on and what you don't. Right. So that you can make sure you withdraw any of them because you could get stuck. Okay. Here's an interesting um, uh, a note from a buyer's perspective on backup offers. So this started thought. Backup offers can strangely enough increase the chances that buyer number one closes on the home. Except in the story that you just told. Right. It (laughs) did not. Right. But in a lot of cases, it can. You know why? Because are they telling that first agent? Many times they are. So the buyer kind of, they lose their leverage. So, for example, something comes up in inspections. Mm. The seller's standing here going, I got a backup offer. I don't really care what you want. I got a backup offer. They don't know what the backup offer is for. They could be better, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it the, the buyers do kind of like lose their leverage. Or like I've got a deal going now where there may or may not be a backup offer in place. We don't know. <laughs> the agent won't tell us. But we were hoping to get a couple extra days, an extension to close. And they're saying no. Mm. And if there's a backup offer in place, then we probably don't have any leverage because they can just turn around and close with the backup offer. So um, it's really important to understand uh, as the buyer, if there's a backup offer in place, especially, don't think you have leverage because you really don't. Um, and I have certainly seen situations where the backup offer is significantly better than the offer that's in place. And that's a really hard bullet to bite so, for. But in that case... Um, would you still, on behalf of your buyer, go back after an inspection res- or in an inspection response and just at like whatever they're yeah. wanting and at least yeah. ask and they can come yeah. back and say, like you said earlier, yeah. nope, I don't really care. Yeah. I've got a backup offer. Yeah. And they okay. don't have to. So this is something that people um, don't really understand. Uh, at least the way that we negotiate in our market, you, the seller can't kill the deal in inspections. All they can say is, no, we won't do that. And then it's up to the buyer to walk away or not. So one of the questions I get is, you know, say we missed an offer by a day, mm-hmm. so got an accepted offer. Um, and, and my buyer's, well, what can we do? I mean, we can offer more. It's like, but there isn't really anything you can do because the seller is in a binding contract. So the buyer would have to miss something. I had this conversation with an agent a couple of days ago. I said, well, maybe the buyers will not turn the earnest money in in time and then we can get our foot in the door. Mm. Like that's the kind of thing you're hoping for. Uh, and it's so rare that it happens. Um, and the other thing to think about too is that if you're a buyer, if you have a backup offer and the first deal falls through, it's probably because of inspections. Is that a house you want? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Uh, that's you know certainly something to consider. I think in our market, you know, we are having a lot of buyer's remorse and people just walking away, but a lot of it is just typically it falls through um, because of inspections. Um, so one suggestion I wanted to make um, is, so I have two more starred thoughts in this segment. The first one is um, I definitely encourage sellers to continue to show your home. Once you have an accepted offer, there's no downside for a seller having a backup offer. It's There's downsides for the buyer, lots of disappointment. But for the seller, I don't see that there's really any downside. So I definitely recommend continuing um, to show your home. And then I think for the buyers, just don't get your hopes up. Be realistic. A good strategy is to just stay in touch with that listing agent. I get that a lot um, where people will say, you know, I know you have an accepted offer. If something falls through, will you let us know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of keep a list. 
And then if an offer falls through, we start to put the word back out. We go down the list and notify them. And then they'll kind of come back and they'll say, well, why did it fall apart? If it fell apart because of an inspection thing, we can have that conversation. It increases the chances that everybody's kind of on the same page and we can put a deal back together that mm-hmm. will eventually close but without doing a a binding contract where everybody's kind of stuck with that. So it's an interesting concept. We're seeing more and more of it. It certainly isn't as successful as I think people might think it is. Um, But for a seller, there's no harm in doing it. So something to consider. All right. What are we going to talk about in the next segment? How to Uh, deal with the anxiety? Because I'm just like listening to all of this and I think, oh my gosh, I haven't bought or sold a home in like years, but just the thought of it, I don't remember it being like this. It's it's a little, you know, you would think a seller's market is fun for the seller and it's not. Usually it's just as stressful. So we're going to talk about what happens with multiple offers in the next segment. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions, and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hey, thanks for coming back to Real Real Estate Today. I'm your host, Deb Tomorrow. We are talking today about some specific strategies and things that are used in a seller's market um, that aren't maybe typically used in a more balanced market. So some things we're seeing more and more of. Uh, last segment, we talked about backup offers. And this segment, we're going to talk about multiple offers. And I think this is really important because there are some pretty big um, misconceptions. Have I told you my Christmas Day story about multiple offers? 
I'm sure I have. I'm sure. Wait, I've this past Christmas no. or or the other Christmas? Story. It was a few years. It was a few years back, but um, I had a, a listing. We ended up with multiple offers. It was December 24th, and one offer was significantly better than the other, cleaner in a lot of different ways. And my clients were like, "It's Christmas Eve." We're excited that we got an offer because they've been trying to sell it for like nine months, switched to a new realtor, got an offer, you know, two offers right away. And I was looking like a hero. I was feeling good. They accepted the offer. We let the other one down easy, said sorry, you know. And then uh, Christmas morning, I wake up to a voicemail from my broker who said that he got a, I write, oh, he was forwarding, forwarding me a voicemail from an irate buyer who did not win out, win in the multiple offer saying that they were going to report me to the attorney general for ethics violations because I did not give them an opportunity to revise their offer. I didn't even, why would they think, sorry, like why would you think I mean, you I can revise it? I don't that. know. Oh, okay. Right. Someone probably told them that and that is incorrect. And so that is the biggest start thought of this segment. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I'm going to talk with a smile on my face because it makes it sound more positive. Um, but you are not required. A seller is not required to notify you that there are multiple offers. They're not required to give you an opportunity to revise your offer. It is a strategy that sometimes sellers use and sometimes they don't. So you definitely need to go into a situation putting your best foot forward as much as possible. Um, because when you have one offer that is significantly better than the other, maybe the first offer was low and they were just fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, but the signal that it sends to a seller sometimes is they're not really serious. And so it's not worth trying to pit these two buyers against each other uh, in a bidding war. Mm-hmm. Let's just go with this one. So you need to think about that, especially in this kind of market. It's funny because that when that happened, it was several years ago. We really we were in a pretty balanced market at that time. So we didn't do multiple offers quite as much. I think those people now know how it's done. So here are the options. If two or more offers come in before anything has been accepted, you're in a multiple offer situation. And there can be several options for the sellers. They can accept one offer and reject the others straight up. Uh, They can pick one offer to work with and try and maybe counter it, reject the other offers or try to kind of keep the other offers to the side until they get something accepted and then reject them or offer them backup positions. Um, Again, you know, if, one offer is head and shoulders better than the others, then a lot of times there's no point in asking for highest and best. What I like to do as much as possible whenever it makes sense uh, is to notify, do a multiple offer notification. So this is an actual form that we fill out for each and every offer that we've received that is saying, hey, we're notifying you that there are multiple offers. We're going to give everybody a chance. If you want to revise it, give us your highest and best offer by five o'clock today or whatever the time is. We Mm -hmm. set a deadline. Everybody gets that notification and then they can do with it as they wish. I like to do that whenever possible because it seems like it's the fairest thing to do. But if one is just blowing the other offers away, it's just kind of a waste of everyone's time. But it it goes back to it's up to the seller on what they want to do. Oh, that's such a good point. I mean, no, actually one of my points on here is what's important to understand in a multiple offer situation too, is that the realtor is presenting the seller, here are your options. And then the seller is deciding how they wish to proceed. So it's up to the seller how they wish to proceed. Um, so, and then once the highest and best deadline, if that's what they do, if the highest and best deadline comes by, then the seller can accept or reject, or you can still pick one account, or you don't have to accept it straight up. Um, you know, and a lot of times you end up sort of countering on like a closing date or a possession date, you know, or something like that. So, um, sellers especially don't think, you know, I get these highest and best and then that's all I can do. You can still try to counter with one and make one work. You know what? And sometimes you look at the offers, you know, you need to look at them from a seller's perspective as a whole. I had uh, a couple years ago, offers were almost exactly the same, but one had local financing and one didn't. It was a lender we'd never heard of. And so that's kind of how we ended up making, you know, the decision. So you kind of look at the entire package. Um, and sometimes we'll say, you know, there's 90% of this offer is really good and there's 10% of it that's really bad, but maybe we can negotiate with them on that 10%. So sometimes you have to kind of continue to do some work. All of those things are options. And I feel like sometimes people just, you know, buyers kind of get it in their mind. Like it's all either all about price 
or that, um, you know, like the, the cash offer we talked about in the last segment, that offer wasn't as good as our financed offer, but they took the cash and then that person walked away. Um, so highest and best notification can give you the opportunity to put your, put your best foot forward if you haven't already, but it can also drive the price higher, obviously, um, than what you maybe originally wanted to pay. So I definitely caution people to not get caught up in the drama of it. I wouldn't say drama is probably just like the emotional charge that everyone is feeling like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I, cause they really want that house. Right. And then it's kind of like when you're at an, well, when I'm at an auction and I just want to yeah. keep raising right. my paddle right. and I need to calm down right. <laughs> exactly, and just focus, yeah. refocus. Um, so in this kind of market, in the seller's market, it's always good to put your best foot forward and not drag things out as a buyer. So here's another example. Say buyer comes in $15,000, $20,000 below list price on, you know, a fairly new listing because they just want to kind of see they're fishing. They want to see, you know, what they're doing is giving the opportunity for more buyers to see the house and for more people to come in and to drive the, and make another offer. And then all of a sudden you're in a multiple offer situation. So I always tell my clients, like I just had this conversation with someone about two hours ago and I said, this is the price I think you need to come in at if you want an accepted offer immediately. This is the price you need to come in at if you want to try and dicker over a couple thousand dollars and maybe run into the situation where you might have a multiple offer. But if those few thousand dollars are important to you and you want to take that risk of maybe getting into a multiple offer situation, that's fine. We can do that. Um, so that's what you need to think about uh, when you're trying to figure out, you know, how much you should offer. You know, honestly, sellers will wait until the last minute to respond to an offer because they're, what are they doing? They're out there trying to get more offers. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think another really good piece of advice that uh, I want to give people is to don't worry about what the other buyers are doing. Every single time I tell a buyer that we're in a multiple offer situation, they say, well, what, what's the other offer? I, I don't, I, they're not going to disclose that to me, right? Because that's not in the seller's best interest to, because the seller wants everybody to think the best offer is $10,000 over list or if you're in the Bay Area, $50,000, $500,000 over list or whatever. Um, so you can't control anything about what's going on with any of the other parties. You have to just do what the most that you're comfortable doing and feel good about that. And if it's not enough, it's not enough. I have a lot of clients who say, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And I'm always like, okay, they're those kind of clients. That's good. You know, cause they kind of get it. It's just, you can't force it. You cannot force it to happen. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can just put your best foot forward and feel good that you did the best that you could possibly do. That reminds me of rate locks. Sometimes people will lock in their interest rate and then like a week later say, if I would have locked in today, like right. what is it? And I'm like, we're not even going to yep. go there. Like, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> Chances are it's slightly higher, but right. like, why are we talking right. about that? Let's keep going right. towards the closing date. I say, when you get an accepted offer on a house, first thing I need you to do is delete the Zillow app off your phone. Stop <laughs> looking at houses because that's not helping. My best advice, starred thought, for a seller is to just be kind and don't be too greedy. I, I know it's very tempting to want to be greedy, um, but I just think, I don't know. I mean, this is what's going to kill me in this business is that I'm always like, you should just be nice to each other. Why can't we just all get along and be nice? And why can't, but you know, just be kind. I mean, respond quickly, uh, you know, as quickly as you can be respectful. Um, you know, let people know what's going on. Don't drag it out because if you've got multiple offers and there are people that are, you know, excited, and I always say from a realtor perspective, someone's going to be pissed off at me at the end of this transaction. You know, I'm going to have to say no to somebody and, uh, and you just kind of have to um, toughen up to that. But be as kind as you possibly can be. Um, I think that's really important. Um, let's see. We already went over that point. See, I put it right here at the very end. It's important to understand the listing agent's job is to help the seller get the best possible outcome from the sale of their home. Uh, they aren't trying to be asses usually. There's a few, I can tell you who. Uh, but, usually, but they're trying to represent the seller. And I think that people need to understand that as well. Um, sellers and buyers are sort of naturally uh, conflicting, have conflicting uh, um, uh, goals. So it always makes it a little uh, tough. But if you're kind to each other and respectful of each other, um, then I think you're good. Uh, let's see. Does that pretty much cover the... Oh, yeah, I have another point. Sorry. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, 
This is another one I get a lot. Are they really? Is there really another offer? We don't know because you don't have the the seller's agent doesn't have to disclose, right? We don't ever ask for proof, um, but I will tell you that I strongly believe it's an ethical violation to lie. Um, it, part of the Realtor Code of Ethics says you have to be honest. You're representing your party, but you have to be honest and fair in your dealings with everyone, with the public. So no. I, I think the chances, I've never felt like someone was lying to me about that, about there being multiple offers. And I just don't think anybody would risk their livelihood on that. So I think maybe I just want to live in a, a world where I believe everyone and trust everyone. That's not a bad thing. That's no. True. Yeah. All right. Next segment, we're going to talk about the ever popular escalation clause, uh, also known as the acceleration clause which is not correct, but I'll tell that story. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, welcome back to Real Real Estate Today. I'm your host, Deb Tomorrow, joined by the ever-lovely Karen Rastel. Thank you for joining us today and asking some really good, insightful yeah, questions. Riveting questions, insightful, I know. Insightful, insightful. All right, I want to talk about this escalation clause. This is a relatively new thing in our market. Um, I know it's done, uh, been done a lot more in other markets, and people are just sort of starting to pick up on it because it hasn't been anything we've really needed to do. So first of all, it is not an acceleration clause, as I had another realtor say to me. Uh, Maybe they wanted to light it on fire. We're not accelerating (laughs) anything. It's an escalation clause. So it's very similar to eBay. If you've ever bought anything on eBay, it's a technique that's used to outbid other offers. And it's typically used in a multiple offer situation. Um, So here's some vocabulary words that are involved in the escalation clause. So you've got the clause itself. You've got a cap. That's the most that the buyer would be willing to pay. And then there's an escalating factor or increments. Uh, in our market, it's sometimes $500 and sometimes $2,500. It can be a lot more in markets where the home prices are much higher. Um, but that's how much above the next highest offer that the buyer is willing to pay. Um, and then another concept that's important to understand, especially in our market, is net proceeds. So when we talk about I'm willing to pay $500 more than the highest offer you have, when we say highest offer, that means the highest offer in terms of the seller's net. So if there's like closing costs and things like that, we have to do some math. Not just the purchase price. Not just the purchase price, but Mm -hmm. kind of a net. Yeah. And then documentation. So what I think is really interesting and slightly uncomfortable about this whole escalation clause is the way that the paperwork is written up and our paperwork's written up by the Indiana Association of Realtors. It does say that the um, seller has to provide the buyer with proof of what the next highest offer was. You can't just make up an offer. Okay. Um, or have like your friend 
write an offer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it's got to be a legit offer. And so everybody needs to feel comfortable that it's a legit offer. So the documentation is a copy of the other offer? Usually, yes. The entire thing. Okay. Yeah. And I usually try and like, you know, blackout names or, you know, I mean, as much as possible, try mm-hmm. and kind of keep some, but that is part of the deal. Um, so, so that's basically how it works. If there's multiple offers, usually the way it works is if there's multiple offers and a seller calls for highest and best, then you would write an offer, say, okay, I'm going to offer you $145,000. However, I'm attaching this amendment that is an escalation clause. And that says, if 145 isn't the highest, if you have an offer that's over 145, I'll pay $1,000 more than your highest offer. Uh, and, in the, and I'll say up to $155,000. Okay. Uh, and then that they'll, the seller, if you, if that's the highest, the seller will come back and probably just write a counter offer up and say, okay, I'll take your offer at 152 or whatever. So my question would be is yes. if I'm the buyer yes. and I got my offer accepted through that escalation clause Yes. and what if I'm doing financing and the appraisal comes back and it's less than whatever that number is, Yes. do I still like typical buyers can still try to renegotiate that price or have an appraisal uh, contingency. Okay. That's still in effect. Okay. So, um, and on the form you can fill out and say, I'll pay for it regardless of what it appraises. But typically we don't do that. Okay. Um, and you can have multiple escalation clauses. That's a fun one. I had one uh, a few weeks ago and there were three offers and they all had escalation clauses. So you have to kind of lay them all next to each other and be like, okay, that one's higher than that, you know, and it mm-hmm. pushes everybody up to their highest point of the escalation clause and then the next highest one. Um, yeah, it can get a little crazy. We don't see that too much, but that happens. Now, from a buyer's perspective, what's the downside to that? There's a pretty big downside to this. There's a lot of discussion about this from time to time. It's hard for me to think of the, but I think of the lending side, like the downside is that you could be paying a lot more for your house and it may not appraise for that much. Right. And then yeah. you're right back at negotiations. Yeah. What the purposes of the escalation clause is to kind of ensure that you pay as much as you need to, but not too much. Right? I mean, right. You, cause you're like, I pay 155, but if I don't have to pay 155, I don't want to pay 155. I'd rather pay 152. Right. So it helps you in that situation. However, you're tipping your hand that the, um, the seller now knows you would be willing to pay 155. And there's nothing to say that the seller wouldn't come back and just counter your offer and say, I want 155 because you said, you know, you indicated you would be willing to. And at that point, the buyer has to be willing to be like, don't be a jerk. Uh, you know, if you can't show me that you have an offer at 154, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to pay it. And you have to be willing to walk away. So that's the downside is that it sort of, um, you know, it shows your cards. And that's never really a good thing. But on the flip side, it also shows the seller that you're serious and that you want to, you know, make the best offer possible. Um, It can be a great strategy. I like it right now in our market because not a lot of realtors do it. And sometimes you present it in the listing agents like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this (laughs) because it just wasn't something that was done until like last year we started to see it. I was going to say, I feel like it just, it was insert or, we just got paperwork for it, I think. Yeah. I think in the past, I a couple of years ago was like one of the first times it was ever used on one of my listings. Uh, it was an estate sale. We priced it low so that we got a bunch of offers. And so we had seven offers that we were looking at. And someone just wrote like on the contract, there's a section for their conditions where you can write stuff in. Mm-hmm. And they just wrote, you know, we'll pay $1,000 higher than your next highest offer up to whatever. But yeah, I think that the Indiana Association of Realtors saw the seller's market come in and said, mm, we probably need some forms for this. So they created the escalation clause form. Um, so, you know, I'm a fan of it in most situations, but I also need for my buyer to be super, super comfortable with their cap. I don't want that to be a, like, a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm probably going to want to back out if that's really what, like, you really need to be comfortable with that. Um, from a seller's perspective, there's really nothing too bad about it, except like you said, it could possibly drive up the price too high and it could miss appraisal. Um, and you could possibly deal with a buyer who got caught up in buyer's remorse, which is kind of where the whole, like, don't get greedy comes in. Like if you get, 
I mean, you know, if you have a house price at 130 and someone offers 200, you want to take it? Yeah. <laughs> Is that deal going to fall apart? Probably. You know, you, it's still got to be realistic. Mm-hmm. We're in the Midwest here. We don't play like that. Um, okay, so my rules about escalation clauses. Uh, definitely use them, especially if you don't think the other buyers will. It'll make your offer stand out. It'll make the sellers go, oh, this person really wants the house. Um, but don't get too crazy with them. Start thought. Be really happy with your top number. And um, if you're a seller, don't be an ass about it. Don't get greedy. Um, you know, I know people have countered back. The sellers have countered back at that top number. I've certainly had situations where we could have. And I just think that's bad form. I just think that's bad you know, bad karma. I, I just, you know, I don't they've know. countered back at the, at the escalation clause, at like the to cap. Get, to, you know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like maybe they didn't have an offer that was 154, but they still countered back at the 155 saying, you said you're, you would be willing to pay 155. So cough it up, pay 155. Because as the seller, you don't have to accept the, uh, the escalation clause. You right. can just counter that out and just kind of counter the offer. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have just thought that, okay, really? Like, who's going to come back and counter that? Because I'm only putting that out there that, hey, if we are in a situation, right. Right. I would be willing to But they're go going, back. oh, well, they qualify for 155 and they seem to think that the value's there. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. As a buyer, you have to be willing to kind of like, if you're, that's a huge red flag. I, that's the thing with all of these multiple offers and, um, escalation clauses and backup offers. There are so many opportunities along the way to see, let the other party reveal their true colors, mm-hmm. you know, red flags on how they react to multiple offers and how they counter back and how they deal with an escalation clause. And you need to kind of take that into account. And I think a lot of my clients are, I had an offer over the weekend that was pretty low and it was a very incomplete offer. Like there wasn't a pre-qualification letter. There weren't signed disclosures. You know, it just, there's something about it. It just, it felt, I hate to say this, it felt lazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the seller and I kind of looked at it and he said, I just don't think this guy loves your house. And like, I kind of want to sell it to someone who loves your house. I don't always say that, but in this case I did. Mm-hmm. Like, that was really important to both of us. And, um, you know, there were red flags and we just thought, and then there was someone else that was like, we were negotiating on something and they were just nitpicking the smallest little detail. And, um, the buyer was just like, this person's going to be a pain when it comes to inspections. I don't know that I want to deal with them. So, you know, I think that's fair to kind of like look for those red flags along the way. And these tools that we talked about today have some great um, opportunities to see those red flags and help you, you know, take everything into consideration. It's not just about money, take everything into consideration. I think we're out of time. Whew, that went fast. It always goes fast. It always does. Well, hopefully um, some good information. And Karen, hopefully you learned something today. I absolutely did. Awesome. Um, we're going to have these up on iTunes. And then I think we're also going to have them broken out on uh, YouTube uh, so they can be available that way too. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and tune in next week. This is Deb Tomorrow, Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb Tomorrow, for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets.